Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well and that your hearts are all full with joy this morning as we continue our way through this wonderful Advent season and get closer and closer to that of Christmas Day, the day, church, where we as a church body get to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And thus, in light of this wonderful Christmas season, today will be the last day in 2022 that we as a church body will be in the Gospel of Mark. And I say that because for the next two Sundays, there will be nothing but Christmas sermons and that of Christmas devotionals here, church. And then come January 1st, Pastor Ricardo will be sharing with you all a New Year's Day sermon here as well. And thus today will indeed once again be our last day studying through the Gospel of Mark together in 2022. And we'll be doing so by looking this morning at Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 19, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ curses a fig tree and then cleanses the temple. However, before we get to all that this morning, church, I again want to call your attention at this time to the fact that chapter 11 in the Gospel of Mark begins, in essence, the last week of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's life here on earth, or begins what is commonly referred to as Passion Week upon Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which is exactly what we looked at last week, where Jesus Christ, upon likely arriving into Bethagy in Mark chapter 11, verse 1, which was likely a district located somewhere between Bethany and Jerusalem, he, Jesus Christ, then instructed two of his disciples, the two of which we do not know, to go into the village in front of them. Again, likely that of Bethagy, where they would find their church a colt or a young donkey tied, which no one has ever sat on, and that they were to untie this aforementioned colt and bring it back to Jesus Christ, which these two disciples then, church, most certainly did. And Jesus Christ then, as we go on to see in verse 7, proceeded to sit on this aforementioned donkey and to then ride this aforementioned donkey into Jerusalem, fulfilling, as the gospel writer Matthew puts it, in Matthew chapter 21, what was spoken of by the prophet, that prophet being the prophet Zechariah who wrote in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And yet while Jesus Christ was riding this donkey into Jerusalem, many people then, church, as we go on to see in verse 8, spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut down from the fields, or that of palm branches, as we see in John chapter 12, and that those who went before Jesus and those who followed after him began shouting, verse 9, Hosanna, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. In essence, welcoming and celebrating and seemingly acknowledging Jesus Christ here as this messianic king with all these messianic shouts and declarations and claims. Even though, church... They still did not understand at this time what kind of salvation that he, Jesus Christ, would ultimately bring. And I say that because these Jewish people here, church, at this time, thought that this Jesus Christ would ultimately come to power politically and conquer and destroy foreign enemies militarily and free and liberate the people of Israel nationally by saving them from that of their political enemies, church, or by saving them from that of Rome. However, Jesus Christ, for he did not come into this world in order merely to save his people from that of their political enemies, church, but instead he, Jesus Christ, came into this world to save his people from that of their very sins. Nevertheless, despite these misunderstandings here, Jesus Christ then, as we go on to see in verse 11, after entering Jerusalem, he then goes into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, since it was already late, for he then returned back to Bethany with that of the twelve which is exactly where we will be picking up in our text this morning, and which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Christian, bear gospel fruit. Since our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ does not take kindly to those who only look the part on the outside, but who live in sin, and to fail to bear gospel fruit. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. Christian, bear gospel fruit, since our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ does not take kindly to those who only look the part on the outside, but who live in sin, and to fail to bear gospel fruit. And thus, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 19. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning. Since, trust me, we want you to have your very own copy of the Word of God. And not only that, but we also then want you to read it, starting today, right here, right now, by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 847, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Mark chapter 11 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 12 through 19, where John Mark, the author of the gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit 
from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priest and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, open our eyes and our ears and soften our hearts this morning as we come to this, what many believe, a rather vexing text. However, it is quite clear that you, God, do not take kindly to those who are hypocrites or who say one thing and do another or those who boast about being a Christian, and yet when you turn up the leaves, that they bear no true spiritual and gospel fruit. Us displaying that they are not really Christians. Father, I pray that you convict us this morning as we evaluate our entire lives so that we do not play the role of the hypocrite or the charlatan, but that we indeed, as the children of God, bear gospel fruit as those who abide in God and who have God abiding in us. And let that flow into how we worship you as well, God, not only personally, but also corporately as a church body, that our worship of you, Father, is one that is reverent and not distracted, one that is devoted to you, Father, and not thinking about all the other things taking place in our life. Father, as we will see from our text today, we are not to make a mockery of your temple, of your place of worship, or of our worship of you. For just as you did then, you cursed it. Father, you don't take kindly to unfaithful, unreverent worship practices today. So purge this evil among us, I pray. And Father, I pray that you help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning. Father, rely solely and completely on your word and on your spirit to communicate exactly what you want to be communicated to this dear congregation this morning so that it be glorifying to you, Father, and edifying to these dear saints. Do this work, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian, do not be content to just look the part but instead bear gospel fruit. Christian, do not be content to just look the part, but instead bear gospel fruit. Verses 12 through 14. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. 
for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So following Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and following him going into the temple in verse 11, and then traveling approximately two miles back to Bethany, the following day then, church Jesus Christ, he wakes up in Bethany, most likely at the house of Mary and Martha and that of Lazarus, the man who Jesus Christ raised from the dead in John chapter 11, and then sets out once again with his disciples on this approximately hour-long journey from Bethany back to Jerusalem. However, as we see in verse 12, Jesus Christ, who is not only truly God, but who is also truly man, for he then, just like any other man who is out there today, for he then gets hungry. And thus in seeing off in the distance, verse 13, a fig tree and leaf, or as the CSB puts it, a fig tree with leaves, He, Jesus Christ, then goes over to see if he could find anything on it. Or to put it another way, he, Jesus Christ, then goes over to see if he could find something on it to eat. However, when Jesus Christ does indeed finally make his way over to this aforementioned fig tree, he finds that this fig tree had on it nothing but leaves. Verse 13, for it was not the season for figs. Likely indicating here, church, that although it was not quite the right time of the year for fig trees to have on them full-grown and ripe and mature figs, being that this fig tree here, verse 13, was indeed in leaf, that it naturally then should have had something on it. That something, as numerous commentators have pointed out, being that of green figs or that of fig buds here which although were not as savory or delicious as full-grown, ripe, and mature figs, they still, nevertheless, church, could have been eaten by Jesus Christ here and most certainly could have helped curb that of Jesus' hunger here as well. And yet not even these green, unripe figs were present at this time on this tree, but instead only that of leaves. And thus because of that, Jesus Christ then, says to the fig tree in verse 14, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Or in essence, as the apostle Peter put it in verse 21, Jesus Christ then, he cursed the fig tree here. Which leads to the question then, church, does it not? For why exactly does Jesus Christ curse this fig tree here? I mean, did Jesus Christ wake up on the wrong side of the bed here? Or wake up with a case of the grumpy grumps here or not grab a Snickers bar before he left that of Bethany and let his hanger, his hunger, anger get the best of him here? And of course, the answer to all those questions is, of course not, church. And that Jesus Christ did not just randomly or capriciously or arbitrarily curse this fig tree simply because he was hungry or angry or irritated that this fig tree was not able to feed him here. But instead, what was taking place here, church, was that Jesus Christ, who never ever sinned, even when he was hungry, as hard as that might be for many of you to believe and understand, myself included on that one, was offering his disciples here an object lesson of sorts, or an enacted parable here of sorts, 
Whereas the fig tree in our text today seemingly represented that of Israel. And I say that because throughout the Old Testament, a fig tree was commonly used to represent that of Israel. For example, as we see in Hosea chapter 9, verse 10, it says, Like grape trees in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season, I saw your fathers. And thus, if the fig tree then represented that of Israel, well, then the fruitlessness of this fig tree then seemingly represented the fruitlessness of Israel here as well and the barrenness of their empty temple worship. Whereas, as Kent Hughes explains it, for it was as if the magnificence of the temple and all its sacrificial ceremonies were trying to hide the fact that the people of Israel were quite simply not bringing forth the kind of fruits of righteousness that were expected by their God at this time. And thus this fig tree then was meant to be a visual parable for Israel and later then for us, the church, in order to showcase that just because we look good on the outside and because our leaves are large and shiny, for that does not mean then that we are also bearing fruit that is ultimately pleasing to God. And thus, very practically speaking here, church, for simply because someone goes to church on Sunday and throws a couple bucks in the offering plate, for that does not mean in and of itself that they are also then bearing gospel fruit. Or simply because someone possesses lots of study Bibles and loves to post out-of-context Bible verses on their social media accounts, nor does that even mean in and of itself that they are also then bearing gospel fruit. Since as we can see from our text today, for someone can most assuredly, church, talk the talk, look the part, and even play the role of the Christian with all their empty forms of worship, service, actions, and deeds and still be nothing more than that of a huckster, a trickster, a charlatan, and that of a hypocrite church, and bear absolutely no gospel fruit. And the danger of that is, as the English clergyman John Trapp once wrote, for when Jesus Christ comes again, he will be looking for that of fruit. And that when he, Jesus Christ, comes again, rest assured, that he will turn up all of our leaves and search for our gospel fruit. And thus we must consistently then, Christian, bear fruit and be like that of the lemon tree, which shortly after its ripest fruits have fallen from its branches, it sends forth yet more leavens. Or even like that of the Egyptian fig tree, Christian, which bears fruit up to seven times a year. And whereas when someone does indeed pick off one of its figs, it breaks forth yet again another fig shortly thereafter. And thus we cannot be content to just merely look the part, church, since our God, for he sees past all of that. 
and that he sees past all our sanctimonious social media posts and what we vainly wear on Sunday and all our disinterested Lord's Day worship and all the money that we begrudgingly throw into the plate and even that of all of our unprepared children church lessons and how we even routinely take communion in an unworthy manner and in all honesty, Christian, he's not pleased by any of it. And thus, because of that, for let us make it our goal then, Christian, to bear that of true gospel fruit, where we bear the fruit of repentance, Christian, and that of forgiveness, and the fruit of humility, Christian, and that of kindness, the fruit of perseverance, Christian, and that of patience, and where we bear the fruit of loving our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself, Christian, since our fruit not only glorifies our God, Christian, but also showcases then that we truly do belong to God and that our God truly does abide in us since all those who have truly been saved by the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ, will indeed then, Christian, by the grace of their God, bear that of true gospel fruit and not just look the part and bear only that of leaves. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. For our God does not take kindly to those who keep his children from worshiping him. For our God does not take kindly to those who keep his children from worshiping him. Verses 15 through 18. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priest and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So after our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ cursed the fig tree on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus Christ then, upon arriving into that of Jerusalem, just as he did the day before, verse 15, went back to the temple. However, unlike the day before, where he, Jesus Christ, verse 11, just looked around at everything, this time, church, he, Jesus Christ, was about that action. However, before we get to that action here in our text this morning, it's important for us to grasp at this time, contextually speaking, about what exactly was taking place here. That being that there was, in essence, a marketplace of sorts set up in the approximately 35-acre outer courtyard of the temple, which just so happened to be the place where Gentiles were permitted to go within the temple complex if they desired to worship that of God. And this was a marketplace here, church, where animals were ultimately being sold for sacrificial purposes. 
and thus being that most of the Jewish pilgrims who would travel to that of Jerusalem would not bring with them animals to sacrifice, they then would have to go to this aforementioned outer temple courtyard or into this temple marketplace, if you will, and buy their church the animals that they needed for any of their required sacrifices. However, in order to do so, They would also then have to go to the money changers who were also located in this outer temple courtyard who would then exchange their foreign currencies into the acceptable Tyrian currency. However, these individuals here, church, who were selling the animals and who were exchanging that of the currencies, for they were not doing so at a fair market value, but instead were jacking these prices way up for these animals and for these services, all in order to make a ridiculous profit in the process. And thus Jesus Christ, in seeing all of this, for he then, with a holy anger, verse 15, begins driving out those who sold and those who bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Pigeons here, church, being sacrifices for that of the poor, Leviticus 5-7. And not only that, but he, Jesus Christ, also then, as we see in verse 16, would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Or in essence, church, would not allow anyone to continue to use the temple complex merely as a passageway of sorts in order to quickly transport that of their goods. To which Jesus Christ then, as we go on to see in verse 17, began teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Jesus Christ quoting here from Isaiah 56, 7, where he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, indicating that the temple or this temple complex wasn't just to be a place of worship for only that of Israel church, but instead for all the nations of the earth, only to then reference that of Jeremiah seven eleven, where he says, but you have made it a den of robbers, and in essence calls out the religious leaders here, church, or verse 18, the chief priest and that of the scribes who had stolen away from the Gentiles, if you will, their ability to worship God in the temple by allowing this aforementioned marketplace to be set up in the only place in the temple where the Gentiles were ultimately allowed to worship. And thus, big picture here then, church, For as Daniel Lakin explains, and as numerous other commentators have also pointed out here, for Jesus Christ did did not just cleanse the temple here, but he cursed it, since it had failed in its divine assignment, and thus would be destroyed. Since with no fruit, like that of the fig tree, its use was at an end. So God would remove it which he did in less than a generation in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Israel and the temple as well. And thus in light of all that, for let us be sure then, church, that we do not fall into the same trap as the religious leaders here in our text today, 
and prevent those who want to worship the one true God from being able to worship him due to our ego, hard-heartedness, prejudices, and sin, since our God will most assuredly not take kindly to those, church, who keep or inhibit or prevent the true children of God from worshiping their Father God, since our God is not to be worshipped by only one people group, church, but instead by all people groups, church, and by all all the nations of this earth. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, for I'd like to do so by beginning with the non-Christian who is here first, and to share with you at this time, non-Christian, why you should indeed place your faith in Jesus Christ, this person who not only cursed that of a fig tree, and drove away that of merchants, flipped that of tables, and cleansed that of the temple, but who also then, non-Christian, came into this world to save sinners from their sins. And he, Jesus Christ, was able to accomplish that for sinners, non-Christian, by literally coming into this world as truly God and as truly man, and by initially living for us the life that we could never live. Meaning that he, Jesus Christ, non-Christian, he lived a life among us that was absolutely perfect. And in doing so, fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely, all for the very children of God. However, this God-man named Jesus Christ, for he did not stop there. And I say that because he, Jesus Christ, also willingly then, non-Christian, paid the price for our sins that we could not pay, and that he, Jesus Christ, willingly gave his life up by being nailed to and crucified and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never, ever sinned, and in doing so, appeased and satisfied, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children. And thus, because Jesus Christ then, non-Christian, this sinless Son of God, completely then satisfied the wrath of a holy God all toward the very children of God, three days later, then he, Jesus Christ, he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, since sin and death had absolutely no power over him, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, 
I'd like to do so again in light of this scene of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ cleansing that of the temple. However, this time I'd like to do so in light of this idea or in light of this notion of how we as Christians should approach our God, particularly when we come into this church building and worship him on the Lord's Day. Since as one commentator made clear, for our Lord's cleansing of the temple here most certainly displays just how concerned he is with the purity of our worship and that of corporate praise. And thus, with that in mind here this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, for let me ask you all then at this time, for when you come into this church building, on the Lord's day, to worship the Most High God of the universe with the Lord's people, by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and by praying in mind and in spirit, and by giving of your offerings, hearing the word of God preached, partaking in the Lord's Supper, and by being baptized and celebrating the baptism of others. For do you do all that, Christian, while your mind is on your money and your money is on your mind? And while your thoughts and your attention, Christian, are on all those home projects of yours, and while your focus and your concentration, Christian, are on all those new business ventures of yours, or do you come into this church building, Christian, on that of the Lord's Day with a mind and a heart and a soul that is solely and simply and exclusively focused on worshiping the one true God of the universe? author David Burgess Church, for he once shared that when Sir William Cecil, a former Lord Treasurer of England, would go to bed, that he would throw off his official robe and say, lie there, Lord Treasurer, and bid adieu to all his state affairs so that he could more easily rest. Similarly, when we engage in any religious practices, whether that be hearing the word of God preached praying with others, or coming to the Lord's table, that we should first put aside all affairs of this life so that we may concentrate fully on the worship of our God. And thus my loving challenge and charge and exhortation to you all here this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, especially as those who abide in God, and who have God abiding in them, and who have been called to bear that of gospel fruit, is that when we as Christians come to worship our most high God corporately together here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church, that we do not do so with cold words, Christian, all while we give our hearts to our idols, or with empty hand motions, Christian, all while we give our souls to our favorite sports team, or with distracted prayers, Christian, all while we give our minds to our projects at home, or even with that of meaningless shouts of praise, Christian, all while we give our strength to that of the desire of this flesh, but that we instead, as a church body, worship our Most High God with a loyal heart, a devoted soul, a focused mind, and with a strength that is unwavering. 
And thus, brother Christian, sister Christian, as Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 puts it, for let us be grateful then for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer then, Christian, to our God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe, since our God is a consuming fire. And thus, reverently and respectfully, passionately and wholeheartedly, worship your God. God, Christian, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and in doing so, bring glory to your God's most holy name as you bear that of gospel fruit. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body take serious our call now and forevermore to worship our God for who he is and how he ultimately wants to be worshipped. And that we worship him, church, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and not in a way that is indifferent or apathetic, callous or disinterested, bored or nonchalant, lacking in love for others or even that of root. For let us not become a church father that just looks the part, goes through the motions on Sunday, and bears absolutely no gospel fruit. But instead, let our worship be reverent and zealous, respectful and good, and ultimately, above all else, Lord, pleasing to you. Since you, God, are a consuming fire who takes absolutely no pleasure in those who worship you with empty thoughts, actions, words, or deeds. And thus, because of that, Help us then, Father, to worship you and only you and to do it, Father, with reverence and with that of admiration, devotion, and praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, how convicting it was this week to read the story of the fig tree. Lord, and to know that there are many times I open my Bible up and just go through the motions. That I sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs just to check something off my list. Father, I repent of these sins and I pray if any of my brothers and sisters have done the same thing or are caught in the same trap, Father, that they repent of these sins as well. Father, you are not happy with simply us building these Christian-looking shrines or talking the talk of the Christian, trying to play the role of the Christian in front of our friends all while we live in sin and run our hell-bound race. So, Father, if we have come to you this morning just to check church off the list and to hear a good little pep talk and to sing some songs and not worship the Most High God. Father, forgive us and let us turn from this sin and let us grow in our love and our desire and our reverence of you, Father. Since you are, as your word says, a consuming fire who does not take pleasure and those who just want to play the role and be that of a leafy fig tree. Father, we know that we are Christians because we abide in God, and God abides in us, and we bear spiritual gospel fruit in our lives as those who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, transformed, and are justified by grace. The same grace that justified us is the grace that enable us to bear this gospel fruit. 
Lest I pray, especially as a church body, corporately on the Lord's Day, when we come into this building and worship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that our worship be pleasing to you, Father, and that we as a church body and the individuals who make up this body bear much gospel fruit. Father, do this work among us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.